Welcome to the ADHD Open Space Podcast. My name is Gray Miller, and I will be your host and facilitator as we explore ideas, workarounds, accommodations, and other aspects of being a professional adult with ADHD. Most of this will come from my perspective as a cis white male in his mid-50s, living in the Midwest, who found out a year ago that I've been living with ADHD my entire life. I am not an expert on ADHD, except maybe in not knowing I've had it for half a century and somehow still getting by. But I promise to cite my sources, or at least admit when I'm repeating something I read on the interwebs. If I say anything you don't agree with, you are welcome to call me on it and let me know. This podcast is also part of the lead-up into the first ADHD open space happening in Madison, Wisconsin, on January 20th, 2024. You can learn more about that event both here in the show and at the website ADHDopen.space. The first 30 episodes of this podcast are also being released as part of National Podcast Post Month, not Pod Pomo. That means things might get a little rough, but it's going to be fun. Kind of like ADHD, right? Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode four of our little series at the ADHD Open Space Podcast on executive function. Now, in episode one, we talked about what executive function was. Using a couple different frameworks, uh, I tend to like the things that Russell Barkley tends to talk about, so I go with his, which has four specific parts. Just a quick review in case you want to test your own uh, nonverbal working or verbal working memory. Uh, he says that there's nonverbal working memory, which is, you know, visual images and nonverbal information. Verbal working memory, the ability to hold and manipulate verbal information. Emotional self-regulation, which, you know, is pretty much what it sounds like. And planning and problem solving. Um, and that is uh, the overall thing with problem that ADHD people have, is that you have trouble with inhibition in general in all of those areas. So, we, in our second episode, talked about our environment and how that can be changed, uh, or at least some examples of how I've changed my environment to accommodate my ADHD. And then in the third one, we talked about some tools and strategies. Maybe it was the other way around. Maybe it was episode two was tools and strategies. Regardless, here in episode four, we are going to talk about building external support networks. Now, networks uh, involve people. So if you're scared of people, which a lot of us are, especially post-COVID, uh, that's okay. We have an answer for that as well. But in general, it is really important that you recognize that you either find a group of people that are also neurodivergent like you, or that you uh, make sure that the people that you do interact with who are neurotypical are people who are informed of and understand what you need. Maybe understanding what you need is more importantly. I don't think they have to necessarily be informed. Uh, I would be lying if I said I wasn't uh, kicking myself a little bit for not thinking it through that by being so public about my diagnosis of ADHD at the beginning of this year, I was probably cutting myself off from a whole lot of employers who just don't want to bother. I mean, legally, they can't not hire me because I have ADHD. 
but there's a lot of other reasons they could decide not to hire me and the fact that the real reason was ADHD that's that's how capitalism works folks that's just the way it is so it is important that you have some support and and support looks all different ways I'm a big believer in chosen family um, I'm also a believer in your regular family if you happen to like yours um, and uh, certainly there is different versions of how you work. I've had situations where I worked and I felt incredibly close to the people I worked with. I've also had situations where I have felt like I barely knew the people I worked with. And, you know, that's that's also um, varying things. So we're going to divide this into three segments. Uh, we're going to say the first one, we're going to talk about communicating with your family and your friends about ADHD and how you can explain it to them. And the second one, we'll talk about professional stuff. Uh, especially since the ADHD open space here in Madison is specifically designed to talk to professionals of, with ADHD and to have them exchange ideas. I am a assistant director of development and fundraising and previously had been a um, executive director of nonprofits. And before that, I was a freelancer and uh, an event producer with my own business and things like that. So that's how I, I designate the idea of professional. Um, and also the idea of people who are, their profession is to help people with ADHD. And then the last segment, we'll talk about, well, the most important part. We'll save that as a surprise, but it's probably the most important thing. So when you're talking with your family and friends, I think the first thing to uh, figure out is, do you have to? I mean, unless your family already knows about um ADHD and your friends do, do you really need to bring it up all the time? I know that when I first got my diagnosis, I had one friend in particular who got sick of me talking about ADHD all the time. Uh, she actually literally said, how come you don't talk about anything but ADHD? You're not, you don't do anything with that. And frankly, uh, we drifted apart. Uh, not because I couldn't shut up, um, but because uh, she was not as interested in it as I was. And before that time, I had gone on about other things that she was interested in. So that was just a matter of, you know, that's just the way it worked out. The biggest challenge and the reason why I'd say ask if you need to is because you may run into the, well, everybody's a little bit ADHD question, in which case I definitely refer you to my article on um, Knees Don't Lie, the very first podcast here. But uh, there's also many other definite things. And if somebody brings up, well, how come they seem to be diagnosing everybody with ADHD now? It's like, well, guess what? When um, when they discovered that cancer existed and developed ways to detect it, cancer rates shot way up, not because more people had cancer, but because we were finally able to recognize them. Left-handedness is another thing. Once we stopped forcing people to be right-handed, then suddenly there were a whole lot more left-handers out there. Similarly, now that we know better how to recognize ADHD in a wide variety of people, and we're still not that good at it, there is a, a larger rise. And so rather than waste your energy trying to convince someone of those things, first ask yourself, is this a person who really I need to talk to about this? For example, I haven't talked to my parents about this. I believe they've read some of my articles. Um, I, I talked in an earlier podcast about my father doing things, but I honestly don't have a lot of interaction with them. And so I don't feel like I need to sit down and talk with them about my ADHD. 
Uh, my kids, I did have a talk with, but just enough to say, hey, just so you're aware, I have ADHD. Uh, one of my, my uh, grandsons has ADHD. It's very likely, given some of the tendencies of my daughters, that they have ADHD as well. Um, but in the end, they're all adults. It's up to them. So I didn't push it. I didn't say, hey, you should check this out. You should see if this is going to happen. Um, you should get diagnosed or not. I just said, hey, I've got it. This explains a lot about some of the things when I raised you. I was actually hoping to have one of them on the podcast, but we just ran out of time during Napod Pomo, but maybe we'll have her on later on. But in the meantime, um, the, one of the best conversations that I had when I first was trying to decide whether to go on meds or not was with my grandson, who's 11 years old and has been diagnosed with ADHD since he was five. And he gave me a really good idea of what it was like for him, what he liked about it, what he didn't like about it, and uh, was very comforting. I also, my best friend, uh, sat down with me and uh, he's the one who, when I told him, I said, I thought the meds are going to make me into a super Martian interrogator in the style of the expanse. He said, oh, you're going to be so disappointed. And he was sort of right. I didn't turn into a superhero Martian interrogator, but I did find that it was useful in different ways. Uh, and he and I still get together and talk about it. I also have another, uh, another arguably best friend who has ADHD and has also been really helpful in talking about medications and in our everyday struggles, especially as professionals. We both work in jobs that our ADHD sometimes gets in the way and um, how we get past that works pretty well. So that kind of um, explanation and the way to say it, I think would be simply to say, hey, I have ADHD do you have any questions about that? And maybe you, it depends on how important it is for you to know that they understand it the way you understand it. Because I can't tell you how your ADHD manifests. Um, I will say probably the most important people to talk to are the people who you deal with every single day in a caring capacity. And in my case, that is my partner and my girlfriend. And... Um, my partner, especially, you heard her in the uh, one of the first one of the second interviews that I did. You've talked to, we talked a lot about it, and it helped that she had gone through clinical depression. She self-admitted this um, severe depression a few years earlier, and we'd gone through a lot of different kinds of medications with her, and so we already had in place uh, the tools to communicate with each other. Didn't mean it was easy. And we still have situations where we wonder, you know, about it. And in some cases, the ADHD gets blamed when it shouldn't. Um, just yesterday, she texted me during the day and said, Hey, do you know where you put the remote? She knew that I had been the last person to watch the TV, but she couldn't find the remote by the TV. Now my brain said, Oh, look at that. Once again, I took the remote with me and left it in the kitchen or in the basement or in the bathroom. She had looked all around, couldn't find it. When I got home, I looked all around and couldn't find it. Looked everywhere. And I said, hey, hon, do you mind? Even though I know you already looked, it'll help me settle my brain if I can look inside the couch or look next to the couch, which is, you know, the most obvious place to find a remote. Uh, and she said, sure, go ahead. And that's kind of the important part. Other people, other times, frankly, in our relationship that could have been taken as a, oh, you don't think that I could find the remote by the couch? But instead, she's like, oh, no, I understand how brains work. You know, your brain 
is going to want to tell you to look at the couch, even though we were both pretty positive. I was pretty positive she looked there already. She was pretty positive she looked there already. But guess what? I looked in there in a different way, and the remote fell on the floor. It had fallen sort of in between the cushions and the thing, uh, rather than just on the floor where she had looked. Turned out that I hadn't put the remote anywhere. The, the animals had probably knocked the remote off the side of the couch, and it had gotten jammed there. But both of us were completely ready to just accept that it had been my ADHD brain that had done that. So that's a, a general overview. Um, but basically, I'm going to say that whoever you do talk to, get the book Difficult Conversations by, I can't remember who it was by, but get a book about how to have difficult conversations. There are many of them out there, and there are definite ideas on that. Things like I statements, using terms um, like uh, what I'm hearing you say is, and not using words like you making me feel, but my brain is telling me a story that that's another very useful thing to, to use. Um, and there are lots of different techniques. We should probably, again, have an entire podcast episode about this. See, that's where I want to have an open space because there's so many things to talk about. I've already gone as long as I've gone on any one individual podcast already, and I've only done segment one. Let's go to segment two, professional support. Now, originally, professional support might seem like the roles of coaches, therapists, or support groups in helping people externalize the executive function. But I will say that I think it's more important, well, not more important, but I think it's as important that you talk to your professional colleagues about it. One of the reasons I was really worried about having a diagnosis of ADHD was that I worked with someone um, who does not work uh, with me anymore uh, at this particular job. And they had not only let us down in multiple ways on assignments, but also had consistently blamed the ADHD on it. Um, now, I don't know if it was actually the ADHD. I know at the time, it felt to me like it was an excuse. And that was my own ableist projection on that. Um, in my previous job, I actually supervised someone who had severe ADHD. And that was frustrating for everybody concerned because they were a incredibly talented person, very creative, and would have fantastic ideas and very intelligent insight into things. And unfortunately, because of not only the ADHD and some comorbidities, it was very hard for them to actually maintain any kind of a deadline, which the way capitalism works that you need to work to a deadline, especially in, you know, things like nonprofit worlds. So um, at the time, I was still in my fantasy world of, well, I don't have ADHD, man. I feel sorry for people who do. That must be really awful. But I also was the executive director and I wanted to be as helpful as I could. And so I did my best to make accommodations for them. Um, luckily, the nonprofit was very, very understanding. And so we tried so many things. We tried limited screen time. We tried using whiteboards instead of computers. We tried a lot of different things. Um, and I can't point to any one thing. One thing we didn't try was we didn't try getting an ADHD consultant or coach or something like that to help out. So maybe that would have helped out. Maybe if we would have had someone like Jesse Anderson or Karen McGill 
or uh, any of the other people that are coaches out there, maybe that would have helped. Um, but if whatever, whatever it be, I, I do say that, you know, I'm very lucky right now in that I have a job that has, um, I won't say time flexibility. Yes, it has, it has time flexibility in that I can usually determine which 40 plus hours a week I'm going to work. Um, as opposed to saying, you know, a, a more logical four-day weekend or, or four-day week or something like that. Don't get me started on why five-day, 40-hour work weeks are really dumb. But anyway, that's a whole different podcast. Go uh, go look at some other podcasters talking about labor for that. Um, but the fact that I can adjust my time means that, you know, unless I have some kind of event or meeting, I can say, oh, wow, I am really having a bad brain day. I need to take this hour in the middle of the day and do a workout instead of doing, you know, my other, instead of just sitting and trying to slog through at my desk. I also get to, uh, most of the time, work at my home office, which we've already talked about how shaping the environment is there. And even at the work office, uh, I do have my own office and I can, for example, dim the lights. I can make sure that I have my own coffee there. I have a not as big a monitor, but a big monitor there so I can keep the same field of vision so I can replicate a lot of the things that I do. And I carry my everyday carry with me when I go to work so I know that I have the meds and things like that. So it does help to keep that externalized at your job. If <laughs> I have been watching and watching and watching many, many, many different people talking about how to deal with your job if your job is not friendly to having HD&D. HD &D. <laughs> if your job is not conducive to having ADHD. And I hate to tell you this, but after watching show after show after show, the consensus is if your job is not going to be able to help you compensate externally for your ADHD, you should get a different job. That's the basic thing it comes down to. And there's a lot of people that say a lot of different jobs. They say things like EMT. They say things like entrepreneur. They say things like um, uh, sales sometimes, things like that. Uh, it all depends on what your interests are. But the main thing is, is that if you really want to do to manage your ADHD, you need to have a job that will keep you interested. And that can be difficult because our interest loops around from different things, which is why, like you, again, you can listen to the Great DHD Drinking Game episode and hear how many zillion careers I have had. Um, and a lot of the careers that I had are things that I didn't even exist when I was in high school. So you couldn't say that I was meant to be any of them. One thing, though, is support groups. Now, I mentioned my, my friend who has ADHD, uh, my two of my friends who have ADHD, who are huge helps to me uh, in the way things go. And then you also heard Nadia Vanilla in an interview uh, earlier. If you didn't hear, you should go listen to that. And she has become a good friend of mine as both a fellow creative with ADHD. Um, but I think the idea of a group is even better. And there are two groups that, um, one that I intentionally did because of the ADHD connection and one that was unintentional. 
um, several years ago, I joined uh, the Notion Mastery beta testing group. This is when Marie Poulain was just coming out with her class, and she offered several people who liked Notion the opportunity to sign up as the beta testers for the course. And I jumped in on that rag and train early. Now, at the time, remember, I did not know I had ADHD. This was, I think, four years ago, three years ago. And not only that, but Marie Poulain did not know about ADHD either. She knew that her sister had it. And actually, there's a video on YouTube of Marie Poulain setting up a Notion workspace specifically for her sister that will be friendly to her with ADHD. Fast forward a few months, Marie gets the diagnosis as well. And we realized that there, we already knew that there was a large group of um, people that were neurodivergent in that segment. And, and there were others too. There's other, other organizations I've been part of, Productive Flourishing. Um, uh, there, there's other groups. Um, oh, why am I blanking on the names? Oh, well. Um, the Future, Future You, that's what it was, the Future You um, group that have a high percentage of neurodivergent people. And for that matter, when I was involved in the adult sex education community, that also has the large variety of neurodivergent and ADHD people. That was actually one of the ways that my therapist thought that I might have it. She pointed out that I tended to hang out with a lot of different communities that had a high percentage of neurodivergent people in it. And I said, yeah, so what? And she said, well, if you look at the person to the left of you and you look at the person to the right of you and they both look like they're neurodivergent, odds are you are too. So um, finding a support group is really good. But the other one that I, I absolutely, I do almost every day, and that's actually part of the reason why I'm doing these podcasts right now and that I get a huge amount of support from is the creative work hour. And you heard... Um, you heard me talking with uh, Andy about that. And at some point, I am pretty sure I can get Alessandra, who started that, to come on here for a interview. Um, but in the meantime, I'll just say if you Google Alessandra, that's with two S's, um, and Creative Work Hour, you can find out more about that. They have been immensely helpful. Not that they all have ADHD. It's more of having a co-working space at the beginning of my day that keeps me accountable and also supportive, that will understand if I say, you know what, I had a really bad brain day. Okay, let's go into segment three, cultivating self-compassion. Now, this is one of the hardest things to do, um, but it's also one of the best things about having a diagnosis because for the longest time, I felt like I was a failure. You know, I had been raised to say I had so much potential I had started many businesses. I had written books. I had started conventions and all kinds of things. And it was never the biggest convention. They weren't ever best-selling books. And um, the the businesses themselves, I mean, they they some of them had good times. Most of them had bad times. And none of them are still in existence right now. So I felt like I had somehow wasted the potential, especially the older you get. Well... The thing is, once you realize that you have ADHD, put it bluntly, you have someone else to blame or something else to blame. 
I can now basically step outside myself and say, um, just like I would not say of a friend who had a memory problem, hey, why couldn't you just remember this? I don't say it to myself either. My brain doesn't work that way. Now, it's hard to accept. It's still frustrating. It's not 100% there. But I am able to give myself a little bit more of a break, and it's uh, it's an ongoing process. I still push myself too hard a lot of the time. I still don't remember to take my breaks a lot of the time. And I will also say that it has been one thing that I have definitely realized is that the best times I had as an entrepreneur was when I also had either an executive assistant with me or I had a assistant director who was immensely capable and had oodles and oodles of executive function. When I was the executive director of um, the a nonprofit in Stevens Point, I had an operations director uh, who was, again, really, really good at executive function, and therefore we balanced each other out really, really well. Um, in my current position, I do not have an assistant, and I do not have uh, an uh, assistant director of anything. I don't have an executive assistant. So I will say, first of all, if you can externalize an actual human assistant, do that. Have someone else who is in charge of helping you figure out which emails to answer, which bills to pay and when, things like that. Someone you can trust. Uh, because if you find that, you will may find life be so much easier if you have ADHD. You can concentrate on the things that you do well. Now, if you can't get that, which, you know, I can't, there are any number of apps. I rely heavily on the Apple ecosystem. I rely on things like mint.com to help me budget. I rely on Google immensely for Google Calendar in order to schedule things. I have yet to find a good app for a task list, but I have found that the bullet journal method seems to work pretty well and keep me from getting distracted. So... There's a lot of different things you can substitute for that. And here's the bonus tip. I'm going to also say that in a lot of ways, while it definitely has its faults and there's a lot of concern about it, using an artificial intelligence like JetGBT can really take a huge amount of the labor of executive function off of your back. Not entirely, but I use it in my work, for example, to generate rough drafts of social media posts or newsletters or things like that. I don't just have the computer generate them and then send them out. I have the computer generate them so that I am just editing them, not having to come up with them out of whole cloth. In fact, I will tell you right now that uh, when I realized I was falling behind on the podcasts that I was putting out for Napod Pomo, I asked ChatGPT to give me outlines for four podcasts on executive function. And guess what? It did. It came up with four episodes and an outline, and I'll actually post what the outline looked like. You'll be able to tell there where I changed it around or what I changed from it and, and edited it. But what it did was it freed me up to only have to work on the finer details. Now, before you sit here and say, that's not real, that's not good... I want to point out that people like Michelangelo 
uh, people like Andy Warhol, uh, great artists in the past had a studio system where their students would rough out things and the masters would come in and put in the finer details. Or the other way around, the masters would put in the rough strokes and then hand it off to somebody, one of their students, to say, I've taught you how to do my technique, now you do it. And they get credit for it. So I think of ChatGPT and other AI support things as that. Now, I am only talking about the text stuff, and I'm only talking about outlines, not things like fiction or things like um, images, because I have my own opinions on that, and it's kind of, I don't want to get into a fight about AI. All I can say is that if you are struggling with things like come up with an outline, come up with a letter, I highly recommend you give a chat GPT a try or some of the other various AIs that are out there. Notion has a built-in AI that I have found very useful. I've used it a lot for work, especially for developing um, auctions for silent auction fundraisers and things like that. So I think that that is, in some ways, with all of the worry about ChatGPT and things like that, it does present a particular advantage for people who struggle with ADHD. And frankly, I would like somebody out there to write up the ADHD Guide to Artificial Intelligence so we can figure out all the ways that it can help us out. So that's the entire uh, outline and all four episodes. And I hope you've enjoyed these stories and definitions and ideas about executive function, some of which, most of which were from me. And, uh, you know, where the errors are, they are my fault. And where the accuracy is, it is thanks to the help of so many people out there who share their uh, stories of ADHD. Every day I meet someone else online, on threads, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, that is talking about how they their story of ADHD. And it is... It is heartening, and it helps out to make us all feel a little less alone. And that's why I do this, too. I hope that if you're listening to this and you have ADHD, that you uh, understand that, hey, we're in there with you. And if you have someone you love who has ADHD, I'm really happy that they have you there and that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. That sets you apart. And I hope that you will continue the conversation first with them, but also with other people. And we will be back with a few more episodes of the podcast tomorrow, the last day of Napod Pomo. And I also would just love to introduce you all to the registration page for the ADHD Open Space event, which will be on January 20th, 2024 in Madison, Wisconsin at Serendipity Labs. Uh, you can find out more about that at ADHDopen.space. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the ADHD Open Space Podcast. Again, my name is Gray Miller. If you have any comments or questions about the show, you can feel free to leave them on the podcast page at ADHDOS.substack.com forward slash podcast. Or you can email me directly, Gray, G-R-A-Y, at ADHDopen.space. The background music for the intro and outro are from pixabay.com and are called Funny Days Together by Background Music Lab. 
used under a YouTube content ID license.